Hello, this is Pastor John Willingham of Doralstown Presbyterian Church. As our podcast audience continues to grow, I want to thank our loyal listeners and welcome those who may have just recently found us. We know that life can quickly become busy, so this podcast offers an on-the-go opportunity to hear Sunday's sermon, along with the scripture lesson read by that day's lay leader or preacher. We also encourage you to visit our website at dtownpc.org to learn more about our church and all of our diverse ministries. Thank you for tuning in. We come to the end of the story of Judge Samson, who was the last judge. Throughout Judges, we have learned that God will use anyone. It will be his choice, not ours. To steal a phrase, he will use the good, the bad, and the ugly to achieve his purpose. Samson's sinful ways of the flesh has brought him into bondage and had his eyes gouged out. If we have learned anything from Judges, it's this. No matter how many times the Israelites wander from God, God will, when, he, when they are ready to turn back to God, they will find that his steadfast faithfulness to his chosen people has not faltered, and he welcomes them back. Let us finish the story of Samson, as found in Judges 16, 23 to 31. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to their great god, Dagon, and to rejoice, for they said, Our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. When the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country, who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson and let him entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. They made him stand between the pillars, and Samson said to the attendant who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, so that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, and on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson performed. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, Lord God, remember me and strengthen me only this once, O God, so that with this one act of revenge I may pay back the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on one, his left hand on the other. Then Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. He strained with all his might, and the house fell on the lords of all the people who were in it. So those he killed at his death were more than those he had killed during his life. Then his kindred and all his family came down to him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtal in the tomb of his father, Manoah. He had judged Israel 20 years. The word of the Lord. Be 
As far as I know, it was the only time I've ever been called a heretic. In its official term, heresy speaks of those moments when a believer articulates a conviction that is not part of official doctrine. And so long ago in the early church, if someone was convicted of heresy and did not recant at best, they would be excommunicated. But in many sad instances, such individuals were also put to death. On the day when that label was applied to me, I wasn't concerned about my safety or my continued participation in the Presbyterian Church USA, but it did come when I was gathering with a group who was going to decide if I could become the next pastor of this congregation. In the Presbyterian search process, the last step before a congregational meeting to extend a call comes when the candidate appears before that Presbytery's Committee on Ministry. Among other responsibilities, that is the group of elders and ministers who are charged with determining if a minister will be allowed to accept a new call and to move into that presbytery. There have been times when such approval is not granted. And one of the main pieces that shapes that whole conversation with the committee is a statement of faith that is written and submitted ahead of time. My particular moment 20 years ago occurred at Church on the Mall, at Plymouth meeting, and I was accompanied by Lou White. As part of that gathering, I gave a brief introduction of myself, and then even though everyone had already received the statement of faith, I read it aloud. And afterwards, I'm sure that there's some people who, who posed some questions, who wanted to learn more or ha have me expound further. But the only questioner I remember is a retired professor. I don't remember whether he was college or seminary. He was the one who raised the idea of heresy. And I want to read you a portion of my statement of faith now uh, that he reacted to on that day. I believe God created humankind to be in relationship with God, I began. From the beginning, the divine intention was for an ongoing bond with humanity. But freedom to choose other than God led to unfaithful acts from the very first human beings. I then went on to make mention of what happened at the Garden of Eden, and then the Great Flood before continuing. God attempted other means for remaining in relationship. A covenant through Abraham, a dramatic release from slavery in Egypt, a law given to Moses, the gift of a land to call their own, leadership of judges, kings, and prophets, sending the people into exile and bringing them home. In each instance, God's gracious persistence sought only human faithfulness in response, yet humankind fell short. I believe God then initiated a new covenant through Jesus of Nazareth, one who is both fully human and fully divine. My statement went on to speak of other pieces of my convictions, and then the questions began. 
Again, I don't recall what other people wanted to, to push me on, but I do remember the professor, and he was reacting to this section of my statement of faith when he said to me, are you saying that God sent Jesus only because all those other means of staying in relationship fell short? Now, I had been through other examinations before, and I knew that the less said, the better. And so I replied, yes. And the professor said, well, you know that's heresy, don't you? And I said, I don't really hear it that way. I think it reflects the, the biblical narrative that we see of all the different things God tried over the years. And then he smiled at me and said, well, it's heretical. It's heretical, but I like it. <laughs> and with that, the exam ended. Questions stopped at that point. And certainly there's no suspense with my presence here of what the final vote was. I'm going to get back in a minute to what I think that professor was pushing me on. But before doing that, I want us to focus on the Old Testament reading before us this morning, because I think it offers a relevant point to this whole conversation. Over the course of this summer, we have been reflecting on the book of Judges and have learned along the way that God had created that position to fill the leadership vacuum for Israel that occurred after Joshua's death. As we have also seen in unblinking fashion, the women and men who filled that role were imperfect, none more so than Samson. For over the weeks, as we have focused on his story alone, we have learned of one who was selfish, mean-hearted, and vindictive. We learned of one who had a quick temper, who was a bad loser, and who really didn't gauge danger very well. As if all of that wasn't bad enough, enough to disqualify him as being a judge, the spiritual leader of Israel, the biblical narrative also tells us that there are only two times, as far as we know, that Samson ever called upon God, talked to God, or prayed to God. The first came after a victory over the Philistines, and the second, in the passage before us today. As we saw last week, Samson's love interest, Delilah, agreed to help the lords of the Philistines capture Samson. And by the end of that narrative, Samson's head had been shaved, his eyes had been gouged out, and he was now in chain. We pick up the narrative at that point as the lords of the Philistines throw this great party to celebrate the capture of Samson. They have him brought out from prison to somehow entertain the crowd. But since he can't see, there is an attendant who walks him out and he positions Samson where he can touch the two pillars that hold up the roof. We're further told that in addition to the people in the room, there were 3,000 people on the roof, all of whom could see what was happening and were mocking Samson. 
as he entertained them. It is then that he calls on God once more and says, Lord God, remember me and strengthen only this once, O God, so that with this one act of revenge, I may pay back the Philistines for my two eyes. He further positions himself against those pillars and then calls out one final time and says, O Lord, let me die with the Philistines. And with his strength returning, he successfully pushes down those pillars. The roof caves in, and we are told by the narrator that 3,000 people died on that day, more than had happened during the whole of his life. With that gruesome and troubling depiction, the story of Samson comes to an end. And you probably noticed that in that moment that he called out to God, he didn't ask for strength to somehow prove to the Philistines who the one true God was. He didn't ask for the ability to prove once and for all that the Israelites were God's chosen ones. No, Samson wanted to destroy that space for a simple reason of revenge showing that even to the very last, he did not embody the kinds of traits that one would think a judge, the spiritual leader of the Israelites, should have had. It was last Sunday that a member of the session asked me, is, is there anything redemptive about the life of Samson? And I suspect that there are others of you who have wondered the same thing. Thus, it shouldn't come as any surprise to you to learn that with Samson's death, this experiment of judges comes to an end. Samson's the final judge. And after that, God reluctantly allows the Israelites to have a king. And when that proves to, to not keep the people faithful still to God, God sends prophets when that doesn't help out, God allows them to go into exile and a generation later to be brought back. And only then, after all of those other steps designed to keep the people faithful, did God send Jesus. Paul put it this way. When the fullness of time had come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law in order to redeem those who were under the law. In other words, that after trying everything else, God sent his son and allowed that son to die for the likes of you and me. Now, scholars have pointed out actually a lot of similarities between the life of Samson and Jesus. In both cases, their mothers received a visit from an angel before they were born. In both of those lives, there were accounts of the Spirit working in their life. Samson, the final judge, we're told, was a Nazarite. 
And Jesus, the one who will judge at the end of time, was a Nazarene. Both of those individuals suffered painful deaths, having been betrayed by their own people. And even the final images of both Samson and Jesus is similar with outstretched arms. He, Jesus on a cross and Samson pushing apart those pillars. It's a professor at Princeton Seminary named Dennis Olson that I think best captures, though, what those two stories have to tell us, as he said. Perhaps at a deeper level, the Samson story affirms God's willingness to enter into the full sinfulness and rebellion of humankind in order to accomplish the purposes of God in the world. At some level, the figure of Samson embodies not only the institution of judgeship or the nation of Israel, but also God's amazing and relentless love. God keeps coming back to God's sinful people, responding to their cries of distress and promises to stay with them in and through their failures, their captivities, their exiles, and even their deaths. Whether it is the human nation of Israel or the individual person of Jesus, God is present and at work in an incarnational way in the blood and mess and chaos of human life. That's what I was trying to express 20 years ago to that committee of ministry. And I think I have an idea of what it was that professor was pushing me to say more about. As I wonder if he was calling into question a, a basic truth about God, namely that God knows everything before it happens. That God has this kind of awareness of events of how they will unfold long before the human participants in it discover what in fact will occur. And I certainly affirm that to be true about God too. And I wonder if what that professor was asking me was if somehow I was suggesting that God didn't know that ultimately God would have to send Jesus. That somehow I was implying that God was surprised that all of those other previous steps failed to bring about the kind of wholeness and healing God intended. That wasn't my point at all. For instead, I think, that what that biblical story reveals is this persistent and relentless love that God has for us. It certainly raises the question of why God would go through all of those previous steps, even knowing that ultimately he would have to send his son. Why did God try all of those other means to stay in relationship with human beings, knowing that ultimately he would have to take on human flesh and allow his son to die. It's one of the many mysteries of God. 
And I can't answer that question. And yet I wonder if all those millennial ago, God hoped that this time the people would get it, that this time the people would remain faithful, that this time that step, whether a covenant, a judge, a prophet, a king, whether whatever form it took, hoping that in fact that moment would bring it about. It didn't happen. And thus God took that most extraordinary step of sending his son. For me, the good news, even as we conclude this troubling look at these judges of long ago, is that God never gives up on human beings, not even us. Which, to my way of thinking, isn't heresy in the least, but rather hopeful to the last. Let us pray. We remain humbled, O oh God, by your persistent and redemptive love. Help us claim that gift anew that we might continue to grow in the way you always intended. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. Once again, I invite you to check out dtownpc.org for information about our worship and programming for all ages.